Thank you for connecting to this podcast from Faith Renewed Outreach Center. We hope that it's an encouragement to you today. For more information, check us out online at faithrenewed.org. I want to do something. I want to read uh, something uh, from Scripture today. If you have your Bible, you can go me to Luke chapter 1. And uh, the service today, just go ahead and let you know, it's going to be a little different kind of what you maybe are used to if you come here and a part of this service um, in our church. Um, just having some different elements to it uh, today, again, by the song, some, some testimonies and different things. But I, I wanted to share this uh, passage of Scripture with you as we enter into or end this uh, Christmas season uh, from Luke chapter 1. And uh, this is, uh, I don't know if you read the Christmas story around your house. A lot of times we typically will start at Luke chapter 2. But I, I love this passage of Scripture, and I think it goes beautifully with what we just heard in song. And uh, even what I believe we're going to see God do today. But uh, it says this. It's in verse 26 is where we'll begin. If you have that, if you don't, it'll be on the screen for you. Um, but it says this. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Talked about fear last week and what that can do. Uh, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name. Somebody say this with me. Jesus. Shall call his name Jesus. There is something about that name. Uh, verse 32 says, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit, this is, this is awesome, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. We're, um, as we end this Christmas season, I, uh, that's, that's such a powerful passage to think about those words and what must have been going through a teenage young lady's mind when she comes and is, is literally visited by this angel and spoken this word. And one of the things I love, if you read on, a little further in that passage, she says something. She says that, be it according to your word. She said, be it according to your word. So she did this. She trusted the word that was being spoken uh, to her, which was from God. And so uh, that is a powerful thing when the word of God is being spoken to us. And, uh, and he, he literally comes in and gives us that word. And so um, I believe this. As we sing that song during this season, I thought about that. Did Mary know? I think she did. I think uh, she knew to some degree, but I think she saw this. I think she went from a place in her life, and this is something that we must do. Every person here must do this at some point if you're going to have the encounters with Jesus that he wants for you to have. 
she has to do this. She did this. She said, be it according to your word. She trusted a word from God, but she did this. She lived with Jesus. She had a, a, a relationship with him that was cultivated through daily living. And as a result, she began to see the things that had been spoken. Isn't that awesome? That we can actually see the things that have been spoken. I, I, I want to I see what we speak about and what we say and I preach about. And, and you sit home during your quiet time and you look at I want to see what we read about. And I, I want to praise God today that we are. Amen? We are. We're seeing that. We're seeing God moving our midst and in our lives. And we're hearing testimonies and seeing God move in, in just tre- oh, man, tremendous ways. And we're going to see more of it. And one of the things I want to celebrate this morning is something that God did in a special person. And I want Mr. Petnato to come around if he, if he would at this time. And um, he's going to share some things that uh, God has done in his life. And uh, it's, it's through, I, I believe, um, our willingness to say, God, be it according to your word. We trust that word, and now we want to see it happen in our life. And so you're going to hear a beautiful testimony today of that through Mr. Frank. Thank you, Pastor. Is this turned on? Okay. I'm going to talk even if it's not turned on. It's a, indeed a pleasure, and much more than a pleasure, it's an honor to speak to a church. That's, uh, I hope you all get to do it someday because it's really something. It's not like the Rotary Club. It's not like anything else. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful honor. Um, I'm going to tell you about my life today <coughs> and what God has done and how faithful he's been. Uh, in preparing for this, I <coughs> pretty much knew that all I had to do was speak what's in my heart, though I didn't do a lot of writing out. My wife said, uh, do you know what you're going to say? Are you going to write it down? For and I said, no. I said, the Holy Spirit's with me, and uh, I'm just going to go up there, open my mouth, and the Holy Spirit's going to make the sound that, that you people are supposed to hear. And on that note, <coughs> in praying about it and and asking Jesus to give me, you know, uh, strength and all the things I need to get through this. He told me that there's somebody at this church today, at this service right now, who needs to hear my story. <coughs> it's going to make a change in their life the way it's made a change in my life. So uh, as a, I think there's a hymn that says, Open our ears, Lord, that we may hear. Open our hearts that we may discover. And by the way, uh, uh, I love the praise and worship, and I think it was the second song that they did, uh, the big uh, um, uh, verse, and I think it's the second verse. I will not fear, his promise is true. My God (coughs) will come through, always, always. And what I'm going to tell you, you're going to find out that that's exactly what he's done for me. The other uh, hymn that we sang, uh, Jesus' name is power. Oh, my friends, if you only knew. Oh, my goodness. And I've been around some powerful things in my life, and uh, nothing as close to, uh, to the power of Jesus. Uh, when I <coughs> first became a Christian and began to study the word, 
and try to learn a little bit about what I was, where I had become, something grabbed me right in the beginning, first week or so. And it's always with me, and this is what it is. Uh, in, it starts in, uh, about it's in about 12 different places that I found in the Bible, probably more. But in Deuteronomy, the first time, <coughs> he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Now, <coughs> I will never leave you. That means that in the morning when you wake up, and uh, you know, like a good father, uh, God is there, and he says, good morning, I'm glad you had a restful night, and he gives you a little kiss on the top of the head, and he's off to whatever else he's got to do. No, no, no. That's not how it works. He says, I will never leave you. That means I will never leave you. So while you're in the shower and while you're eating breakfast and while you're driving to work and all the other things that we all do, he's with you. He'll never leave you. So students, when you're in school and there's a little bit of hard work to do there at the desk or something you have to remember, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And... Uh, the last place that I found it in the Bible, and like I said, it may be in other places, you'll find it's at the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the last thing. Jesus has got his 11 guys there in front of him, and he's telling them that I am going to leave you now, and uh, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who will be with you. And, uh, of course, he gives them the great commission to go out in the world and preach the word, and then he reassures them as the final thing he says, <coughs> I'm, uh, sure, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, which is the same thing as the other sentence, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So let's, uh, let's bring this down to my lifetime. I was probably about three, four years old, I would think, because it's am among my earliest memories. Uh, my mother took me to Catholic Church, and uh, it's a, it's not a scary place, but it's a pretty different kind of place. And they got this church that I went to. There's a life-size uh, crucifixion there. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and uh, you know, blood coming out of his chest and his head, and it's just pretty gory, actually. But <coughs> it's a fact. The thing is, the important thing to know is. That should have been me hanging on that cross. I should have been the one that got beaten with the cat of nine tails. But Jesus took that for me. He took that for you. He took that for every human being that's ever been and ever is going to be. Every single person, no matter whatever happened to you in your life or whatever you did, whatever you did wrong, he did that to get rid of all that stuff. <clears throat> He's never going to leave you. And he's never going to forsake you. And all you have to do is accept him. That's all. There's nothing else you can do to receive that. What a fabulous, fabulous gift. So my mother whispers in my ear uh, at the church. She says, that's Jesus up there hanging on that cross. He died for you to redeem your, you. And, and he was a man. And he was born. And he lived a long time ago. I was just a little boy, and I remember that. That went in my heart to the very core of my being. It never left me. As bad as I could be, as silly as I could be, as lazy as I could be, it was still always there. So fast forward to 
approximately the middle 70s. And uh, uh, our family didn't go to church. Uh, we just we had a nice little home and three, and my son Dan and his two brothers and, and uh, his mother and all. And we, you know, we're just fat, dumb, and happy. And uh, this is how important it is to invite people to come to church, especially on a special occasion. A neighbor says, well, we go to a nice church. Uh, wouldn't you guys like to come as Easter? Everybody should go to church on Easter. And so we said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go. So we went to church, and I don't remember whether it was that Easter or when exactly, a week or so later, whatever. But we started going uh, every week. And uh, the pastor there preached a sermon this particular Sunday, and the sermon was about living forever. No, you die, your body dies on the world, but you live forever. And, uh, and then at the end, he simply said something really simple. He said, are there those out here who have not yet accepted Jesus? Wouldn't you like to live forever? Holy smoke, you just thought there was some kind of electric winch stuck to my arm, pulled me up like that. Yeah, I don't want to die and then just molder away in the grave. I want to live forever. I want to be with my loved ones those and those other people that have accepted Jesus. And so that's how I got saved. And uh, fortunately for me, some men in the church uh, took me under their wing and then began to teach me right away. And that's when I learned, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So I looked up this word forsaken because you don't hear it a lot around. And uh, uh, Webster's Dictionary says that forsaken means to abandon, to leave, <coughs> or to give up entirely. Also means deserted or to relinquish. Now, <coughs> as humans, not necessarily in, in your faith or in church or anything, but have any of you, can you realize that you have probably forsaken something in your life at one time or another? <coughs> I can tell you this for myself. I once worked for a big corporation with a wonderful product they sold that I really believed in. I believed in it. And the spirit of that product was in me. And I loved to go out and talk about it to, to possible uh, buyers. And, uh, and I believed that if you bought that product, your life would be better. And I could see it playing out in people that I had, I had sold it to. But the management that I worked for they were hypocrites. They ridiculed those people behind their backs, and, and they laughed about it, and, and they thought it was, uh, they made smart jokes about so forth, how dumb these people were to, to swallow all this stuff. And I couldn't stand that because I knew it was a good product. It was a fair price. Everything about it was good. But I, so I had to forsake that company and walk away from it. So probably... Any one of you have probably done something like that at one time or another. So now you know what forsaken is. And <coughs> if you bring it down to God and yourself, you don't want to be forsaken. Oh, no. <coughs> Sometimes people say, well, I don't care about going to jail. I do that anyway. Uh-uh. You don't want to go to jail, and you certainly don't want to be forsaken by God. So... Uh, my life went along for a long time, and uh, lo and behold, 
my son Dan's mother decided that she wanted to forsake our family, and she walked out on us. And she left me with Dan and his two brothers to raise. And uh, Jesus was with me. He never left me because <coughs> we were able to reorganize ourselves. And we were probably a pretty funny bunch there when they were teenagers and in high school and so forth. And pretty soon Dan met Mary Jo, and so she was even in on a lot of it. And, uh, and uh, uh, we got through it because Jesus never forsaked us and he never left us and we got through and we got through because of my faith I always knew Jesus was there I made terrible decisions I made stupid decisions I, I did dumb things and all that stuff that I did was wrong is <laughs> right there he was with me all the time uh, one time I heard a story and in the story the man asked if he meets the Lord, and he says to the Lord, where were you when my daughter got killed? And the Lord says, I was right there with you crying. See, Jesus is with you. He would never leave you. And, and, and he never left me. And so fast forward a bit, now I become an old man. <coughs> so I'm so fortunate. I've always been in business for myself, and I never felt like spending the money for health insurance and I used to buy health insurance through school years ago and that's how the boys always were insured I was always wanted to be sure that was okay and, and I was lucky I did that because they played football and did other things and they once in a while I had to go to the ER and so forth but uh, we were we were blessed because nobody ever got sick I never got sick and then I turned 65 and I got on uh, social security and uh, Medicare, bingo, I got sick. Uh, I got remarried <coughs> about that age and bought a nice house out east Georgia Road, Simpsonville, and, and uh, one side of the yard is so low that you drive your car under the house. And the other side of the yard is so high that I can walk up to the kitchen window and it's about here. So uh, to get an idea, it's a pretty good hill so I'm working around in my new yard and my new house, and I'm really proud, and I'm trying to work, trying to walk from the low side up to the high side, and I can't make it. About halfway up, I'm out of breath, and I can't even pick up my legs. I sit down on the front porch steps, and I think, what the heck's wrong with me? I never had this problem before. And, uh, and so I, I go to the doctor and I find a great heart doctor, here in, uh, in uh, over by the Greenville Hospital at the time, anyway. And so in the hospital for the first time in my life, a uh, heart cath and stents put in, and uh, at least I can walk across the yard. So the doctor says, well, you know, you're 210 pounds, you need to lose some weight, get rid of the cholesterol and all that stuff, the doctors tell you. And, of course, because... God was with me, and because God wanted me here talking to you this morning, that all worked. And uh, he warned me. He said, uh, someday you're probably going to have trouble with your heart valve because it's, it's not perfect. And, uh, okay. So uh, two or three years go by, and then 
one day they do that test on me where they run the camera all around your chest and it goes into a TV of some sort and computer and the doctor says, remember I told you about your heart valve? I said, yeah, I said, it's, time to, it's time for us to fix it. What's that mean? That means we got to put an artificial valve in your heart that's made out of plastic and whatever else and it's made from pieces of a cow. So we go to the hospital for the surgery, open heart surgery, cut you down the middle, open you up like a box and get in there and do their job. And, and uh, 5.30 in the morning at St. Francis Hospital, my wife kisses me, my son's standing there and so forth. And down the hall I go with this nurse walking. And uh, at the end of the hall is two big doors. And the nurse says, I'm going to go on ahead and get your room ready. You're the first one this morning. Or get your bed ready. Rather. Anyway. And so uh, she's gone. The door shuts, and I'm walking to the door by myself, cold and dark. Two great big doors. It doesn't say, welcome to surgery. It doesn't say anything. And I look at those doors, and I thought, oh, man. I walked through that door, I could never walk back out. I might die. There's a good chance I could die. But uh, Jesus didn't leave me, never left me. So the thought comes into my mind immediately. Wait a minute. If I die, I'm going to heaven. I ain't going to lose. Everybody I know might be crying because I'm not around here. But they're all going to know that I'm in heaven and I'm happy and I don't have a heart valve problem in heaven. So, uh, so I can't lose. If the surgery is successful, here I am standing here this morning full of pep and energy and so forth. If I die, I'm up there dancing, you know. They dance before the Lord up there. So, uh, Got through that. It was fine. Man, I'm great. I mean, I'm renewed. So I can do whatever I want. I'm working away at my business, and, and then just everything is great. I met this, uh, had met this wonderful woman, Christian woman, and we got married. We got that new house I mentioned. It just couldn't be better. And then I turned 70, and another switch went on in my life. And I began to have every kind of gastrointestinal problem that you can think of. Gastrointestinal, what does that mean? That means you're, well, you go to the bathroom, okay? I'm not going to tell you anymore because it's gross. But <coughs> several things. Ha I, women's probably the same way. You guys are got a slightly different perspective than men do. But to be having to be in doctor's offices all the time and talking about this stuff that's you and having people pull on you and push on you and probe you and all that kind of stuff is something you got to change about. And it's embarrassing and it's uh, everything else you can think of. <clears throat> but it's not so bad because God didn't ever forsake me and never left me. And I still got him. And I mean, I got him strong now. I turned 73 years old, and let me tell you something. A lot of you people are younger, way younger than that. You can't relate to this. 
<coughs> but you older people beginning to get there, once you get to be about 70, man, you begin to think, I'm closer to the end than I ever was to the beginning. And you're going to die. I don't care if you're perfectly healthy or you're like me. And you think about it. It's a joke says don't buy gr uh, green bananas because you might be dead before they turn yellow. You know, this is true. It's a fact. So that's what, when you're old, you can't help but think about that. You don't want to dwell on it and be morose, but that's what you do. So you got that on one side coming on you. Then you're getting sick. You got all these problems. You go to the doctor all the time. For three years, I must have been in the hospital 12 times at least. And, uh, you know, I go to St. Francis or Greenville Memorial and I'd be in there for a week, three days, two weeks, whatever. One time I went in there and uh, they thought I had a kidney stone and they fooled around with it and it released some kind of infection, went throughout my body and in about four or five hours my body turned septic. That means that everything started to shut down, quit. I mean, that's as close as you can come to death. And... Uh, put me in intensive care. They put this gas mask thing on me to help me breathe and tied my arms to the bed. And uh, I'm conscious through all this. I can't talk because they can't hear me out the gas mask. So that was a blessing for everybody around me. But, <laughs> but the fact is I'm laying there in intensive care and I'm thinking about dying. I think I might have rather died than being trussed up like that. But anyway... I got through it because Jesus didn't forsake me. He never left me because he wanted me standing here at uh, 5 after 12 this morning telling you this. <coughs> That's part of why he did that. So I got through that. Well, I'm going through this kind of stuff on and off and, and, uh, for the last three years of my life. Actually, a little over three years now. So I'm thinking, Frank, you got cancer for Pete's sake. Nobody's sick like this all the time unless they got something really serious wrong with them. So a year ago, I think 2014, a doctor takes some biopsies from the inside of me, sends them to the lab, and it comes back. Sure enough, Mr. Pedinato, you have cancer. You got, you're lucky. You got the kind of cancer that's slow. So you're not looking at imminent death in the next few weeks. Thank you. That real, felt real good to hear that. You know, but let me tell you something. A medical doctor told me that I have cancer. That means I'm going to die for sure. I knew my whole life I was going to die someday, but now I know I'm going to die. But Jesus never forsake me, and he never left me. So I had all these other complications, and they're working on those things. The doctor says, i got to get this complication straightened out before I can work on your cancer. I said, <coughs> you know, so they're fooling around, they're fooling around, and all this stuff's going wrong, and nothing's working, and it's just a nightmare. So uh, finally, in this past Labor Day, just this past September, Labor Day weekend, everything shuts down, and I need to go to the bathroom, and I can't. So I'm in the, <coughs> I think we went three times that weekend to the ER. Third time we went, they put me in the hospital. The doctor's working on me, one very, very good doctor named Dr. Hill. And uh, 
before very long, the young surgeon comes in and he says, I'm going to operate on you. He said, I'm going to fix this. He says, and we're going to fix that cancer afterward. This was fixed. Okay. So uh, they operated on him. And uh, indeed, he fixed that problem. But I still got the cancer. So he comes to see me about two days later in the hospital. And he says, uh, well, while I was in there, before I closed you up, I took 50 samples from you it to send to the lab to test for the cancer. Two weeks later, I go in his office and he says, you don't have cancer. Hands me a piece of paper and it says, no malignancy found. Now I, I got a little ahead of myself because a few weeks before this happened, <coughs> my son says to me, Dad, you got to come to our church because we have healing prayers in the services and people are getting healed. So I said, yeah, just like that day that I, my hand went up, remember? The same thing. I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because they've been going to all these doctors and they can't fix me. Jesus can fix me. I know he can fix me because I know other people he's fixed. So we're right here, right there. Uh, in August, I believe it was, 2014. And, you know, the music is going, and people are all around me kneeling and praying, all my grandchildren and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know whether anybody could actually hear what I said or whatever, but I said to God, I said, God, I'm at the end of anything I can do. I can't do anything more about this except obey the doctors and obey you. You want me to be healed, you're going to have to heal me. He did it. He did it because he never leaves you. And he probably didn't like living around in me with that kind of stuff. I don't know. But that's God, you know. He made us in his image. He made us who we are. He gave us the talents, the individual talents that each one of us has. That beautiful voice that you have. He gave that to you because he wants to make he wants, to, he wants you to do something for him. It's praising him. It brings glory to him. And if I'm standing up here talking to you and there's somebody who needs to hear this and their life changes because they heard it, that's why God did all that stuff. I'll tell you how faithful God is. I went to church <coughs> in Spartanburg County for a long time when I lived over there. And uh, there was a couple in the church, older couple, and the man's name was George. And I wish I had their last name. I can't remember. And uh, he used to be a pa He grew up here in the vicinity of that church we were going to. But he became a, a minister and, and became a pastor. And he had a pastor to church in Florida. I think he told me 27 years or something. Long time. And... Uh, he said it was a small church and they didn't have much money and they paid him and he made a living and he had a nice life. And he said at the end, when it was time for him to retire, his car broke and it broke so bad they didn't have the money to fix it. So they lived right across from the church. So he said, we just walked over there. And he said, I, think I got along without a car. He said, if I had to go visit, he said, somebody from the church would take me to the hospital. And 
stay with me. We'd go around and visit, you know, people from the church and the hospital and that kind of stuff. So he said, I got along fine. He said. So one of the last weeks I preached the service, he said, when he came out, was over, and I went down to the door to greet everybody as they left. He said, one couple in my church invited me next, the following week to please come have a Sunday dinner. Okay, fine. So he said, uh, uh, you know, we don't have a car. He said, it's okay, you'll ride with us. We'll, we'll go in my car after church. Okay. So the next week, <coughs> God never left us, man. Just like he said, he never forsaken him. So he said after the service, the man and his wife came up. And they said, the car's right here. He walked out. They got in the car. and It's a brand new some kind of car. He said, boy, this is a nice car. And the guy said, yeah. He said, you know, he said, we buy a car every year because uh, my company helps me pay for it. And, and so every year I turn my car in and get another car. So they drive over to the people's house and they pull up. And there's the old car the guy had. He didn't trade it in. It was sitting there in the carport. So <coughs> they go in the house and they chit-chat a little while and they're ready to eat, sit down and eat dinner and they're ready to say grace, and the pastor says grace. And then at the end of the saying grace, the man that owned the house and <coughs> the man that had the new car pulls out of his pocket a set of keys and reaches over and hands them to the pastor. He says, uh, our old car will be fine for another year. You take that car. And that's how God works, you see. He knew those people couldn't retire and, ha and go without a car. So he gave them a car. <coughs> that man told me that story because he wanted to illustrate how God had never left him and how God had never forsaken him. And uh, in a little while, you're going to testify, right? You're going to hear a story of the, how faithful God is and how God never left her. It, and just what Pastor said when he read that, those passages about marriage, Jesus' mother. He never left her. He was with her. She was supposed to be like 14 years old when that happened. He never left her. He was with her before that and ever since. And she's alive today. In fact, some churches agree to make her alive. But anyway, <laughs> that's not part of it. <coughs> Can we please say a prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that... Uh, that you brought me here this morning. We thank you that I'm able to speak. <coughs> we thank you that there are people in this room that need to hear this story of God's faithfulness, your faithfulness, God. I cannot say more than thank you. That's the only words I know. It's very inadequate, and I'll never stop saying it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Wow. I, I, just again, how Holy Spirit is just leading today. I'm just thankful for that. And uh, just another special thing that we want to share today. And uh, I want you to hear kind of again what God's doing and his faithfulness of who he is. And uh, Miss Lynette, if you know her, woman of God, we love her and want her to just share today. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. 
And it's always a privilege to be able to share what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Although I will have to say, Frank said he was 73 years old and he was old. I'm 76, but I'm not old. I will share a little bit about how wonderful our Savior really is. From the time I was a little girl until I was about nine years old, I lived with alcoholic mother and grandparents in Missouri who tried to make a home for myself and my twin sisters while our father worked uh, out of town, different jobs, and was gone for two or three weeks at a time. So we rarely ever saw him. I loved my grandparents and because of their testimony to me, I would start to church, and so I would find a place that I could go to church in this small country, and I would walk two miles across a plowed field in order to get to church. But when I was nine years old, my father decided to move my twin sisters and my alcoholic mother to a place in Illinois called Pena, Illinois. It was a 6,400 population. And he moved us into a rundown shack that for most people would look like a haunted house, uh, leaking roofs. We had a cold burning stove. It was cold, and it was frightening, and it was a horrible place to live. My twin sisters were three years younger than I, and my mother was drinking herself into oblivion, and so very often I would have to run from her because she was a mean drunk, and so when she got really drinking, she'd pick up a poker and and try to beat us with it, and treat, in order to protect my sisters, I would fight her. And, and so um, I decided that I needed to find a church in Pena. So the Lord led me to the First Baptist Church of Pena, Illinois, and so I walked there again. It was quite a distance, but my heart wanted to be in church, and I believe that was from God even before I knew him. I started to Sunday school, and while I was there, I, I met a Sunday school teacher who took an interest in me and in my sisters. And we started going every Sunday, and we learned verses. And one of the verses that I learned was Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And that verse I clung to from that point on, and I still do. I found that people in church were kind. A lot of them couldn't help as much, but they could help a little, and they did. And an elderly gentleman in Pena lived down the street. He owned a Sinclair filling station. And because our father was never around, we really never had enough to eat. We didn't have clothes, and the shoes that we had were usually with holes in them, so we used cardboard, like BJ said one time when he was giving his testimony. And I would go down to this little Sinclair store, and this gentleman would give me eggs and milk and bread and every time I went. And he'd always say to me, well, we'll put this on your bill, and your dad can pay for it later. Well, my father never paid for it later, but the gentleman kept giving it to us. And again, God taking care of us many times when we weren't even aware of how he was working in our lives. A year later, we moved back to Missouri, again to live with my grandparents. My mother was still drinking heavily, a severe alcoholic. My father was also an alcoholic, but he could hold his liquor and he could keep his job. We moved several towns, times in that area, sometimes eight times a year, trying to go to school. But my sisters and I did everything we could, wherever we were, to be away from home. We didn't want to be around our drunk mother. 
We didn't want to stay in that environment. So we'd go to the library. We would go to school. We would go to church. We'd go to movies. Went to a movie one day and came home, and our house was burned down because my mother had been smoking in bed. We went back to our grandparents because we had nowhere else to go, and I thank God so much for that, my grandparents, but they were elderly, and they really couldn't take care of us. But that time, my mother left, and we never saw her again. My father divorced, so we stayed with aunts and uncles who really didn't want us and didn't mind letting us know that they didn't want us, or we were hiding from my, my father's brothers who would try to molest us. So we were in an environment that was, again, a horrible environment. But I went to my father one time when I saw him, and I told him what was going on. So he decided that what we needed to do was we needed to be put in a foster home. Well, we were. Several foster homes. Some of them were okay. They were good. And we learned that we, we couldn't begin to really like those homes because we knew we weren't going to be there very long. And there were other foster homes that were horrible. We were there because we were workers. We were there because they would get money for us. We were there as fall guys because if anything happened that went wrong, we were the ones that were in error. And so we began to build a shell around ourselves, a wall, so that people, we wouldn't love people, they wouldn't love us, and we wouldn't hate and we couldn't be hurt. It was the way for us to just be numb. My father then decided at the age of 12 that he would move us again, and we moved back to Illinois, to Pena, the same little town. We moved into a three-room apartment that was right next door to a tavern. We were separated only by a sidewalk. We were with our stepmother the fourth time my father had been married, but she was also an alcoholic. There were so many times when we would go to bed and wake up and my stepmother would have a man, another man, living in the house or staying in the house. And again, we did everything we could to stay away from the house as much as we could. Our school teachers were wonderful to us. They helped us out. Children were cruel. We were told we couldn't be played with because our parents were alcoholics, and so that meant we were bad as well. My father would leave on Monday. He would come back on Friday. And in that time, he would give me money to take care of my sisters and myself, money to buy food because he knew we needed something to eat. And I would try to save that money. I learned how to cook chicken when I was with my grandparents. So we lived on chicken and Cheerios because that's what I knew how to make. But <clears throat> we began to, to get discouraged, and we began to, to understand that this was not a good situation. And every time my father would come home on Friday nights, I would desperately try to save money, enough money that we could get to the movies. Because you see, if we could get to the movie at 6 o'clock, we could sit in the movie theater for four hours from 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock, and that way we wouldn't have to be there when he came home because we knew that there was going to be a horrendous, horrible fight. Sometimes we thought he was going to kill my stepmother. One time I, de I decided that I, that was what was going to happen, so I was going to run down the alley to the police station and get the police. However, my father had a different idea, and he came after me, took me back to the apartment, and slapped me across the floor. I learned very quickly that I didn't want to mess around with him. I finally, at the age of 14, realized I could not take care of my sisters and myself and go to school and take care of the house and live with this stepmother anymore. 
So I went to the pastor of the church. And I asked him if he could find us a Christian orphanage that we could go to. Now, at the age of 14, I didn't really know what an orphanage was like, but I figured it had to be better than what we were living in. And he said, well, I think that I can find something better. I think that there are some family members in our church that will take you. And he did. And as God always does, always working ahead, the home that I went to was the Sunday school teacher that I had when I was nine years old who lived on a farm, which was my first love. And I knew for sure that I'd gone to heaven. When I went out to my foster home, my foster father, whom I later learned was a gentle, sweet, kind, loving man. But at the time, I didn't know that. And when I came out there, it was his birthday. And he put his arms around my shoulders and he said, we're so glad that you've come to our home. And he told me later that I backed away from him and I looked at him and I said, don't you ever touch me again. But I soon learned that he could touch me without expecting me to give anything that I couldn't give and that, that, he, learned, that he loved me. And I also learned to love and I learned to lie. You see, when I was on my own, nobody cared about what I did or where I went or why I did something or why I didn't do anything, so I didn't have to lie. But when I got out to my foster home that I loved dearly and I made a mistake or I'd disobey or I'd do something that they they didn't like, I would lie about it. But when I was at the age of nine at church, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And from that time forward, I loved my Lord and I knew my Lord loved me. And that was the strength and the determination and the knowing that there's always something better And so I kept my eyes on the Lord. And as Frank said, he never left me. And so my stepmother, I mean, my foster mother said, well, why were you lying? And I said, because you're going to kick me out of my home. And she assured me that I was there not because they were going to get money for me, that I was not there to do the work, and I was not there to be the fall guy, but I was there because they loved me and I would never have to leave. I wanted to go to nursing school, and my mother was the head cook for the school district. That isn't making very much money. And the year that I graduated from high school, that year before, in in the spring, my father died, my foster father. And for the first time in my life, I lost someone that I loved dearly, like I had never loved anyone else. And I was hurt, and I was angry. And when I went to my graduation, I looked out into the audience, and there sat my drunken father, and the father that I loved was not there. And I didn't understand that. And I was kind of angry with God for letting that happen. But I soon soon learned that God had other plans for me, And so uh, my school teacher, one of my math teachers, said, ask my mother, what's Glenetta going to do after she gets out of school? And she said, well, she wants to go to nursing school, but of course, we don't have the money for that. And my math teacher said, well, why don't you apply to the Delta Theta Ta sorority, which was a school teacher's sorority? Why don't you apply for that scholarship? And my mother said, well, remember, they quit giving that scholarship three years ago. She said, apply anyway. So my mother did, and I did receive the scholarship. 
as God had already planned. A full scholarship that I didn't even have to pay back. My last year of school, nursing school, and I flew through that, had a wonderful time, grew to know the Lord even more. My, my mother, my, the, the house mother for the school of nursing that I was in a year after I was there was fired. So I called my mother and I said, hey, why don't you come up here and try to apply for this job? She said, well, I've never done anything like that. I've always been a cook. I said, well, come try anyway. And she did. And she was there for 12 years. God again taking care of her and me. My last year of school, two months before I was ready to graduate, I got sick. I thought it was bronchitis, and that's what, that's what the nurses thought. And we were in the infirmary, and I was there for three or four days, and, but I wasn't getting any better. So they put me in the hospital. And the day that I was admitted in the morning, you know, they put IVs in, antibiotics, and did a lot of tests and did a lot of blood work, as they always do when you go to hospitals. And so that evening, my doctor came in and sat down to the bed on the bedside, and he said, Glenetta, I don't have very good news. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, well, you have one of three fatal blood diseases. And I have to tell you that that was pretty much of a shock, like Frank said, when you when somebody tells you you're going to die, that's not something that you hear every day. So kind of put me in a little bit of shock. And I said, well, are you sure? And he said, yes. He said, I had, the lab, I had three lab technicians check your blood, and they all came back with the same answer. He said, I'm sorry. And he left. And I sat there thinking about a lot of things that being a student nurse and seeing a lot of things that I'd seen and it's wondering how was I going to die? What was I going to through? How much longer am I going to live? And all of those things run through your mind. And then, as God is always faithful, I went to my Bible. There are two Psalms that I hold dear. One of them is Psalms 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, and he will not allow your foot to be moved. He will keep you. He will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel, shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at the right hand, and the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you so, and from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. And then I turned to another passage that also gave me the strength to face that night. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say of him, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Well, that night I didn't sleep very much, but I remember trying to write poetry in the dark because I had a roommate and I had a flashlight and I was trying to write poetry and I was trying to write things that I needed to say to people that I loved. And finally, the morning came and the lab came in and drew some more blood and a few hours later, the doctor came back into the room and he sat down at the bedside and he said, and I was waiting because I knew that he was going to say, well, this is what we're going to have to do and this is how long you have to, 
to live, and, and I, ha I had it all in my head going that way. But at, yet at the same time, through the night, I had a peace. It was like, okay, well, as Frank said, if, you, if I die, I'll just be in heaven. And if not, well, then I'll still be with people I love. He sat down at the bedside and he said, Glenetta, I know that I don't understand this and I can't explain this, but I know that you will. The blood work that we did this morning was perfectly normal. And I did the same thing. I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. I had three lab techs check it and it came back normal. Well, I don't have to tell you how elated I was but I remember that I had called my mother. She'd been on vacation, and I called her when I found out I was what the problem was. And I knew immediately that she went to our church, and I knew the people prayed. Prayer is powerful, and it works. So I began my career in nursing, remembering many, many times running up and down the halls, asking God to give me the wisdom that I needed to care for the people that I was caring for. Because you see, then we didn't have all the technology that they have today. We had to listen to the patient. We had to watch their symptoms. And there were many times when they were so sick and you really didn't know where you were and what you needed to do. But I can tell you this, that God was so faithful that when I would ask him to give me the wisdom I needed to treat a patient, he always did. He always did. God was a big part of my life. I went to church all the time. I gave. Well, sometimes I gave. Sometimes I gave a tenth. Sometimes I gave more. Sometimes I'd skip a week. Sometimes I gave methodically. But I knew that God would, in some time, in some way, would show me my error, and he did. In 1980, Bill and I married. We both knew the Lord. We were active in church. We were making good money. We gave our tithes, again, sometimes. Sometimes we gave more. Most of the time we gave at least 10%. We gave methodically. 1994, we went into a project with Medicare. To make a long story short, we lost over a million dollars in that project. And we never really recovered from it, even though we worked sometimes, most of the time, 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week. But we just couldn't get caught up. Bill's health began to fail, and thank God, prior to that, I had urged him to go to see the VA and to begin working through the VA because he had a little skin cancer and it wasn't really anything big. But now he was in trouble. He was going to have, open, have to have open-heart surgery. And I praised God again that he had already prepared the way for us because there's no way that we could have paid for open-heart surgery. While I was sitting in the waiting room the day of surgery, there was a lady sitting next to me, and she looked over at me, and she said, was your husband in Vietnam? And I said, yes. And she said, was he with, involved with the Agent Orange stuff? And I said, yes. She said, well, are you getting the Agent Orange benefits? And I said, no, my understanding is, is that you have to meet certain qualifications. She said, if, you, if your husband was involved with Agent Orange, you are entitled to some benefits. I had no idea the impact that conversation was going to have on the rest of our life. In 2012, we began to apply for disability. You know, that's a long process. 
information given, more information asked for, and we just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And that brings me up to today. You see, while I was preparing for today, I realized that up to this point, I was really not sharing anything with you that most every one of you hasn't already experienced. Pain, sorrow, tragedy, difficulties with finances, you've all been there. And my example and my life pales in comparison to some of the testimonies that I have heard in this church, how God has spared and worked in their lives. But we all did as I did. You have all done as I did. You cried out to the Lord, and the Lord provided you, and the Lord kept you. And he kept you because he loves you, and he blesses you because he loves you. And he died because he loves you. And I believe that all of those experiences, the culmination of all those experiences, are what brought me to the place where I was ready to receive what I'm about to share with you now. Six months ago, Bill and I were listening to a pastor. He was teaching on grace and on the love of Christ. And as his message kept going, he moved into giving. And he said most of the things that you and I have heard about giving and why we should give. But then he said something that the Lord knew I needed to hear. He said, our giving should be an expression of the love we have for the Lord. That touched my soul. It humbled my soul. And it quickened my spirit. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, Glenetta, why do you give? And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought of all the reasons that I just heard, and, and then I heard him again. And he said, Glenetta, why do you give? And I realized that my giving was for the lesser reasons, that if my giving was motivated by love, all of those other reasons would fall into place. And I realized that he wanted me to give from a source that I believe is the hardest for us to give up, and that's our money. And I knew that I'd been missing out. And I turned to Bill and I said, Bill, we have been giving not for the most important reason. And he said, I know. And we agreed that we had been missing out I can't even begin to tell you about the joy, the peace, the excitement that came of that realization. And I realized that joy, that we had not experienced the fullness of the joy of giving. Joy is defined as caused by someone who is greatly valued and deeply loved. We were excited about giving. We still are. Yes, we give a tenth. Yes, we are. The Lord blesses us in so many ways. And I can't begin to, and I hope that this morning, that because of what I've said to you, that because of your remembering and realizing again how the Father has kept you and how much he loves you, that you too will want to know the experience of that fullness of joy because your given is given out of your expression of love. To God be the glory. Thank you. Can we all stand, please? Uh, the worship team's going to come around at this time. And um, I just um, told you today was going to be different and special, and it is. And I'm just, um, just thankful. I just 
This has been a picture, as we've heard this, of the faithfulness of our God. I mean, this is what we've heard today. We've heard story after story, message after message of hope, of the faithfulness of God. And, um, and He is. He's, he's here. And from the very first verses that I read earlier, that this proclamation was given that Jesus was going to come, and He did come, and He's here. And I, I believe this, because of His Holy Spirit, He's here right now. Amen? And I believe He's with us today. And so I want to ask you to do this. Just bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. And I, I'm just continually blown away by the faithfulness of God and by what He's doing in our church and in other churches that are preaching the gospel. And I just, I just love it, and I'm thankful. And I, I believe today all this happens, and we get in places and moments like this, and, and God sets every bit of it up. He sets every bit of it up. We heard so many stories of how God just set things up. No coincidences in the kingdom. It was God's plan. And so I believe his plan was to have you here today and just so he could speak at a, a word of encouragement to your life and to your situation, whatever it may be. And, but most of all, I know he did this. He got you here to let you know that he loves you. He loves you. And talking about giving out an expression of love, the Bible said he so loved us that he gave his son. And so that's what Jesus did. He came and gave his life. And We've heard the gospel today, and you may be here, you've never put your faith and hope and trust in the gospel message. You, or you may have done this, maybe you've walked away from Christ, you don't have a relationship with him. And, and uh, as Mr. Frank said, uh, he didn't leave you, but you've left him. You've walked away from that relationship or walked out of that. Man, God wants you in a, a relationship of love with him. And like I said earlier, Mary got to encounter that with Christ, and she got to see more and more about that message, of that word that was given her earlier and she didn't have to just say be it according to your word. It became real. It became real. That, but it started with a word. You've heard the word today. You've heard a message of hope and life today. But have you done this? Have you made it real in your heart? And so just if there's anyone who's here today who needs to say yes, and, and I want to live forever, and I want to give my life to Christ, just like Frank, man, it, 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 just something right now, Spirit of God may be drawing you. So I just want to ask that question. If that, you're here, I want to pray with you, and I just want to encourage you and uh, introduce you to someone who's going to change your life forever. His name's Jesus. And so... If that's you, just, just right now, you can just raise your hand up. If, if you'd be honest and just say, Pastor, I, I need to give my life to Christ. If that's you, just raise it up high as you can get it up, just so I'll make sure I see it in the lights right here. Raise as high as you can get it. Thank you. Praise God. I see that hand. God sees that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? Just raise it up. God bless you. God bless you. Jesus loves you so much. He, he loves you so much. He he, he moved things around to get you here today in this place. Praise God for that. Praise God. I see that hand. I want to pray with you right now, but I also want you to do something. I want you, after service, to come see me. We have something we want to give you, a Bible, some information to help you as you start this journey with Christ. But I don't want to pray with you right now. Just if, if you've raised your hand or maybe you know you should have, just do this. Just say right now, I believe today that this message is for me. I believe and trust today that Jesus came and gave his life for me. And I ask him to be my Lord right now. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and is going to come again. And I'm going to live with him forever. I believe that today. I put my hope in that. God, come in. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Thank you for being with me right now. In Jesus' name.